Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast, Christmas Eve edition with Ben Gessling of the Star Tribune in U.S. Bank Stadium after the Minnesota Vikings escaped with their 11th one-score win of 2022. Ben, they are now 11-0 and in these games. It's pretty incredible, and uh, they find a different way to win a one-score game every week. Today was you know, pretty simple, uh, only took the longest field goal in team history a week after the biggest <laughs> comeback in NFL history, yeah. a month after they won a game with the help of a forced fumble on an opponent's one-yard line when they're trying to run out the clock. So, yeah, this one uh, on the like level of Hollywood blockbuster escape among the other ones they pulled, maybe not quite as uh, as dramatic, but, yeah, 61 yards from Greg Joseph to win it. As you said, franchise long beat the old franchise long by five yards. Yeah. Because uh, Greg Joseph had tied that earlier this season with a 56-yarder. And everybody on the sideline and in the game at the time said, oh, no doubt we were going to make it. But a very candid Brian O'Neill said, well, no, I was actually preparing to make a tackle on yeah. that play. Yeah. Because the Giants had a returner back. I'm focused on the returner and watching him mirror the ball. And here Greg Joseph is sprinting to the opposite end zone already celebrating yep. this kick going in. I mean, it was as unlikely – of an outcome um, for Greg Joseph to make that kick is it seems like many of these outcomes have been just because we don't see that from a Vikings kicker ever. Well, that's kind of what I thought. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's made, I think it's 20 straight now field goals and extra points and has worked on a lot of these issues that he had early in the year. I, I won't invoke the name of the contour of the season of who that reminds me of just because it's Christmas and I don't want to <laughs> give Vikings fans <laughs> allergic reactions. But, yeah, I mean, if it holds up in the playoffs, it would be uh, a uniquely monumental thing in team history. Let's say that. Um, should the Vikings have been in that position? It was interesting to see. At one point I turned to you and I said this could be their sixth victory where they were outgained in a game. Yes. Did they end up being outgained in this game? I'm sure they did. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't think it was – I don't know the exact number, but I think the Giants were up by enough that I don't think the last drive would have been enough to make up for that. So – to the point, though, like they were doing a lot of things in this game to seemingly lose it until right at the end, the Giants pull within 17-16, and right at the end there, you um, see the blocked punt. There was another interception. I think it was a fourth-quarter interception, wasn't it? Patrick Peterson. By Patrick Peterson. and But then Saquon runs up the middle on fourth down, and I'm thinking, here we go again. They get the two-point conversion. Here we go again. We're headed for a back-to-back -back overtime game. Yeah. Um, I know they only gave up 24 points to the Giants in this one, but to that offense, that still seems like a few too many. Yeah, and especially because a lot of that came with red zone stops. That was not like the Giants only put themselves in position to score four times. They had – that was 24 points with a bunch of field goals, I, I think. I'm trying to remember how many. But, well, it would be three, I think, because one touchdown was um, a two-point conversion, the one they had to tie it. So, yeah, they scored – five times and got in the red zone. I mean, they had another couple drives where they were in Vikings territory. Uh, Patrick Peterson comes up with the interception. And then I think the the first stop they had down there was about the 25-yard line as well when they forced a turnover. And um, Yeah, it was. it's one of those where you thought they should have made it more comfortable. Kevin O'Connell with a couple of what I thought were uh, – dubious decisions on third and fourth and short he throws the ball twice gets a yard from a cousins to osborne throw and then they throw deep on fourth down rather than trying dalvin cook yeah. 
or trying something a little more high percentage. And then at the end, I and I asked him after the game about this, he said they did have a discussion. He had a discussion with Ryan Cordell, their game management coordinator, about going for two when they're up seven, which of course would have put them up nine, puts the game out of reach. He said he didn't want to do that because he didn't want to kind of open the back door for the Giants then to go down, score, possibly go for two, take the lead, and then force the Vikings to kick to win it rather than having the safety net of overtime. I'm not sure if Brian Dable would have gone for two in that situation. I think if you tell him, hey, you only need seven to tie it, he probably would have said, sure, I'll take that. Kind of knowing Brian Dable, as we were talking about before we started recording, is not the most aggressive coach in the world. So I kind of, if it's me playing Madden, <laughs> whatever this is worth, I probably would have gone for two there to try to say, let's put this away. So some moments there where they couldn't have, they could have probably done a little more to put it away. Uh, Cousins got probably lucky a little bit when they overturn the interception. Adam Thielen makes a great play there, but the review bails them out of a bad interception there. And they had some opportunities to put it away that they didn't take. But, you know, in the end, they did what they had to do, as they kind of seem to do every week. This was not Kirk Cousins' sharpest sharpest game, no. I don't think. But teammates are crediting him at the very end for checking into that Jefferson screen yeah. that set up the potential for a game-winning field goal that – Obviously happened with Greg Joseph making that uh, franchise long kick. Uh, the Vikings were indeed outgained 445 to 353 in this game. It is the sixth time in the last seven games they've given up over 400 yards. Um, it, it, this defense is changing. We saw some of the same aggressive stuff that we've seen in the past. But Corner still, blitzes today, too. Yeah, we still saw, though, too, a lot of the big plays that had yep. come back to bite yep. them. Patrick Peterson got beat on one. Chandon Sullivan got beat on another one. Um, and so those are the vulnerabilities that you just didn't want to see against what really has been a bad passing offense yep. with the Giants. At the same time, Daniel Hunter now has, I believe, three sacks in the last two games. Yep. They really got after the quarterback in this one. Um, it, that pressure, if you can continue to bring it, it can kind of cancel out a lot of the issues they've got. And to me, the biggest thing that keeps happening with this defense are these game-changing plays. It's Asamoah yeah. knocking that ball out. It's Peterson's uh, interception. This Giants offense had the fewest takeaways tied with the Eagles in football entering this game, and I don't think they will anymore after facing the Vikings. Yeah, it's uh, this is an Ed Donatel defense. Over the course of his time as a defensive coordinator, emphasizing takeaways has been a big part of it. It was interesting today to see the Giants kind of pick up on the shifts. They went to a lot of man beaters, a lot of crossers that, okay, Patrick Peterson, we're going to test the idea that you can run across the field. He said he covered like seven crossers today over the course of the game and, of course, makes the interception on one of them, which he said he called a shot. He said he told teammates before that series, I'm going to go pick one off here and then undercuts the Daniel Jones route and makes the interception. But you are seeing teams now test them on that, and you mentioned it when we were in the press box, the switch release on the long pass to Richie James, they're running a moving pick there on Shannon Sullivan, and they hit it for a big play. So some of these man-beater things now, if they're going to play more man coverage, they're going to be exposed to those things. And, you know, there's probably a lot of the the solution to this is probably a, a hybrid of, of what they're doing, but just executing it better is, is going to have to be a big part of it too. But, yes, the pass rush has been a lot more noticeable. Eric Hendricks with a couple of – blitzes today that were fairly timely the corner blitzes I thought were a, a wrinkle we haven't seen a lot of they're showing more pressure and bailing out of it which I think has at least given opposing offensive line something else to think about I think it's a more varied defense which is probably a good thing for them heading into the playoffs 
they are going to have to be better at executing all of it and, and not giving up quite so many big plays, both in the run and the pass game, if they want to go somewhere. Yeah, and Patrick Peterson talked about that going into this game, saying, you know, we can play a lot better than we've played, certainly on defense, entering this stretch run, what they hope is going to be a playoff run. And the Giants are going to be one of those teams that because the Vikings beat them today, uh, maybe somehow the Vikings fall to a three and the Giants are coming back here. The Giants fall to a seven. Yeah. I don't know if that's even possible. Washington would probably have to win out. Um, but oh, sorry. point being that the Giants are a playoff caliber team and the Vikings show that they needed to eke by a wild card level opponent here in what wasn't their best game, but we keep talking about how they don't play their best games, but they still keep on winning. Daniil Hunter said something after the game along those lines. He said, somehow the connectedness and togetherness we have as this group comes out in those moments. Yeah. He, he kind of said, I don't know how. I don't get it. Like, I can't explain it. But, you know, the fact that we all know and understand how to play off of each other in what is really just the first year with all these guys together, for many of them, um, he, they're crediting the word that has ha, ha made some people laugh since, uh, since February when, when O'Connell got here. They're crediting the culture. Culture. <laughs> they really Cultures, are. They're hiding behind the culture shield. <laughs> they really are. <laughs> it's interesting that you say that because I asked Ed Donatel about that this week. When, well, he talked about there's no way to measure. said you can measure everything in football these days. There's no way, way to measure the heart and the connectedness of a team. And, and you're kind of like, well, that, that sounds like something that could be on a postcard. Like yeah. the one thing you can't measure is a man, <laughs> the size of a man's heart. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can actually measure the size of a man's heart. It's in a physical sense. And actually, if it's too big, that's problematic. Yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, Teddy Bridgewater's heart was too big, as Mike Zimmer uh, told us when they first drafted him. It was like, oh, that fits. Not anatomically, though. He's healthy as far as we know. He is healthy. <laughs> they, he had to get checked out for it. But uh, Zimmer wanted to paint it as Teddy – Will lead. I mean, even then, the the uh, aggrandizement of Teddy Bridgewater from Mike Zimmer was was off to a, a rip roaring start. <laughs> anyway, the Donatel said that that the best way to test these things is to put people in pressure situations when you find out what people are really made of, and he said that has really been where it shows up. There's there's no way to quantify that. I mean, there's no way to say well. This team is X amount of connected and does X amount of things off the field together. Or, you know, it's not like the Sims where they're like all of the relationship <laughs> meters. I like this person 80 instead of 70. Do you imagine if PFF had a relationship meter for every team? Give it time. I feel like the Jets would be at zero. We may get there. <laughs> Culture over replacement. I, these, are, these are good ideas here, PFF. If you're listening to this, you're probably not. But uh, let's talk. We, we've got some good ideas here. Um it, but, I mean, you can't quantify it, but I think they would say, look at our record in close games. You can quantify it, and these two things are related. It's not a point you can prove, you know, numerically, yeah. but they certainly believe it, and if they believe it and they continue to win, it's probably all that really matters. Do they have the NFL record now for wins in one-score games? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I think it was 10. Yeah. Um, so, so they I were think tied. Yep, I think they've pushed past that now. Um yeah, that, this was number 11 as they prepare to play the only team the entire season they've beaten by more than one score, the Green Bay Packers. That's incredible. They have not had a two-score win since week one. Yeah. And that's been the only two-score win. Now, we've brought up points that if Greg Joseph makes all his extra points against the Cardinals, that's a nine-point win or whatever. Yeah. So, like, there's some, you know, there's funny numbers in there a little bit where one play here or there that was rather inconsequential could have made it a two-score win. But the Dolphins was kind of a back backdoor one score. Yeah. I think the Dolphins scored late. 
Yep, yep. And and frankly, that Dolphins game, if, I don't know, that, that was one where you look back on it thinking if, if the Vikings got a little lucky if Tua was healthy there. Who knows what that game looks like? But that doesn't matter. You don't get to pick when you play them. You just play them. And the Vikings keep beating the opponents that are lined up in front of them unless they're an NFC power um, or who else did they lose to? The Lions. Yeah. The Lions lost to the Panthers today. They got today. run out of the building, it sounded like. The Panthers what? ran all over them. That was one of the weirdest outcomes of the schedule. Carolina doing what they're doing under Steve Wilkes and just dashing the Lions' hopes here. Um, that really hurts the Lions' chances of coming back to U.S. Bank Stadium. It sure does. And, and it's one of those things that, you know, you kind of sit there and say, it's, this is the Lions doing what the Lions yeah. do. But they had done a lot of work to put themselves in a spot where it looked very possible they would be here in round one and they would not have walked in here terribly afraid of playing the Vikings, I wouldn't think, given the fact that they probably should have swept them this year. So for them to lose that game, it's a pretty big blow. And I suppose it helps the Packers – uh, it helps the possibility yeah. that the Packers are still in it. The Packers, by and large, need to win on Sunday against the Dolphins in Miami with Tua to keep themselves in decent position. But if they win that game, they'll come into next week thinking they still have a chance. So we may still see Aaron Rodgers one more time. The, the NFC playoff field in that portion of it is pretty muddled. And it, it's any number of teams you could see coming in here. I think the Vikings probably would – have preferences of who it would be, uh, you know, probably the Commanders. I think more so than anybody else. Maybe the Seahawks, but a lot of those teams to me are sort of not interchangeable. But there's nobody that you look at in that side of things that say this is a complete enough team that they should be overly scared of them. I guess. I believe too that Washington would need to – we're doing this in the middle of Washington and San Francisco right now, and that game is tied 7-7 as we speak. But I believe Washington would have to win. And actually not even then. I don't think Green Bay can be mathematically eliminated before next week. No, I don't think they can be officially eliminated. They can be, you know, on life support. But they – if they win tomorrow – will definitely have a chance to be kind of in the mix. I, I don't know how Vikings fans would feel about that. The, the possibility of, hey, you go 14-3 and three or something and your reward is Aaron Rodgers coming into a dome stadium in the first round of the playoffs now that he's had four months to work with these receivers. But I, Actually, I misspoke. The Packers can't be mathematically limited if they, if they win, right? Because if they yeah. lose, they'd be 6-9. and nine. If Washington wins, then they would be. Because yes. Because Washington could finish at worst 8-8-1. Yeah, I, eight, eight I think that's right, yes. Yep. If Washington wins today – by the time you're listening to this, you may know the results of this already. So <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> uh, you can fast forward this part and just Google what the results were. If Washington won today and the Packers lose tomorrow, they would be eliminated. Yes. Yep. So, but I like the Niners' chances of winning, which means the the Commanders will win that game, and I think the Packers will lose tomorrow, which means they'll win. Um, so who knows what's going to happen in terms of that matchup? But we should you got be- like a good Joe Pesci Home Alone vibe too, going by the way with the hat. <laughs> I wore it coming in here because it was negative five. Yeah, out, it was freezing. And I don't have the hairstyle to just ditch a hat and just kind of have hat hair because I don't have much hair. So it looks pretty bad. So I was going for the staying warm and cozy. Yeah, but it's holiday the, appropriate Yeah, with, yep. with the Home Alone thing. So <laughs> you have more um, hair than he did. We should talk about – thank you. We should talk about Justin Jefferson, though, before we go because this guy in 15 games, so it's a legit record, Yep, snapped the single-season mark that Randy Moss had set in 2003 – and he's probably going to re- he's probably going to break his own mark in years to come of what he just did now. Very but, possible. Um, he has had two years over sixteen hundred yards, I believe, yep. receiving. 
Um, he easily breaks Moss's, I think it was like his second catch of the game. He, yes. He broke that record yes. on here. He needed 10 yards coming into the day, and I think the second one was like 25. So. And then they go to him right at the end to set up that field goal with a screen. And uh, I think it was O'Neal or Austin Schlopman, I can't remember which lineman it was, but he said there's nobody that you want to run a screen for more than that than that guy. Just because even if you're wrong, he's going to make you right. Yeah, I mean, interesting call there too because they were out of timeouts, I think, at that point because they, they had to burn one. They had a fourth down where they didn't have the right personnel group in there. O'Connell said afterwards that we were kind of confused there, so I had to burn a timeout. He said that's my fault. But it did make it so that when you're throwing that screen to Jefferson, you do have to think about the clock because as it was, they only had a few seconds to get the ball clocked. And he was probably an angle tackle from from Love away from having a chance to house that thing, which would have been electric. The place would have gone nuts. That'd be the lead to everybody's stories tomorrow, and you'd never forget it. There was also a possibility that he gets loose the clock runs out, he gets tackled at the seven-yard line, and then you're going to overtime. So it was an interesting situation there to call that screen, knowing it's going to take a little bit of time. Cousins said he checked to it, saw that they were going to bring pressure, saw it was a, an opportunity to, to beat pressure there. But you do have to think about the clock. And, I mean, that's one of those spots where you talk about the difference between this year's and last year's teams. They manage the clock so much more efficiently. I mean, we used to watch two-minute drills with these guys, and it's like, do you guys practice this? I mean, just nothing looked efficient. Nothing looked like they were – that they had kind of an order of operations for what was supposed to happen. I mean, it looked like pilots that have a manual for what you're supposed to do in an emergency, and they've never looked at it. And now it's much more of, okay, we know what we need to do. It doesn't take that long for them to get lined up. I mean, that one at the end today, the fact that they got it clocked and got the chance to kick a field goal – I don't think that would have happened in the past. Brian O'Neill said they practice that every single week in terms of having to clock it after a big play and get it down quick. And he said even when we practice it and we never use it, he said O'Connell will come back the next week and show us examples in other games yeah. of when that was needed. And just to reinforce of like, hey, this is why we're doing this. And then, of course, the Vikings need it. And this team that only plays one-score games <laughs> seems like they're always going to need that kind of just thin margin of error efficiency as the clock is ticking down. That's little stuff. It's linemen getting down the yep. field quickly. It's getting the ball to the ref so the ref can spot it. Yep. I mean, we saw that earlier in the year with the Lions trying to knock the ball out of Garrett Bradbury's hand. I mean, it's, it's all that stuff when it's down to a couple of seconds. I mean, it seems like tedious, boring stuff, but that makes the difference of winning the game today. The Colts laying on Justin Jefferson yeah. at the yeah. end of the game. Yep. And actually, I don't remember. I need to go back and double check a game this. on that, but but O'Neal said that the screen to Jefferson was the same screen we ran against the Colts to set up the field goal. And he couldn't remember if it was the overtime field goal, if it was an earlier field goal, but they just went back to the same play yeah. um, to, yeah. to set up that. And it worked again. And we'll have to see if those kinds of things work against better opponents down the line. I don't know if they're going to face one. Yeah. I don't know <laughs> how much better the Packers are. I don't, the bears <laughs> certainly are not. The bears are, no. you know, the, the tank has, has rolled. Yep down Lakeshore Drive in Chicago. And if the Eagles win today, they are currently, are they beating the Cowboys with Gardner Minshew? Yeah, it's close, I think. It if, doesn't matter because by the time you listen to this, you'll know if, the results. If the Eagles win today and if they've already won, they clinched the first seed. If they yep. lost, they just need to win one more game to clinch the first seed. The Vikings cannot clinch the second seed until next week. Uh, and I believe that would take a San Francisco loss either today to, to the Commanders or to the Raiders next week. Yes. And the Vikings would have to beat the Packers. So if somehow you're listening to this and the Commanders pulled off the upset against San Francisco, it is officially win and clinch 
in Green Bay for that two seed. Yes, it would it would allow them to wrap that up with a victory. And then that would mean that that's the only way that they go into the final game with nothing to play for. If San Francisco keeps winning, they need to beat Chicago. Yes, yeah, they because they will not have the tiebreaker. The reason for that is, of course, they haven't played this season, but the Vikings went undefeated in the AFC, which means they have one more NFC loss, I believe, than the 49ers do. And that can't change. If Assuming the 49ers and Vikings end up tied, the 49ers have to win out. So the Vikings would end up losing that tiebreaker based on conference losses. That's the way that would, would go down. Yep. And so we'll have to see how that plays out in terms of Kevin O'Connell's decision-making with injured veterans and younger players. We already saw him mix in younger players on defense today. Yep. Josh Metellus, Brian Asamo with a huge strip there yeah, early he, on. He played He's a lot. Some run lately too, but. He played a lot today. Yeah, yep. um, I think it had easily been a career-high snaps for him as he rotated uh, series with either Hicks or Kendricks. So this whole development thing that you know teams are generally worried about, like let's get that pipeline developed, they're trying to do that kind of on the fly here as they wrap up their playoff seating. So it looks like, though, they got a player at Osamoa because that was a heck of a play that they made. But that will be it for us from U.S. Bank Stadium. Please check out all of our work at Star Tribune dot com.